0: Hi, this is Eugene, and I just want to say that this episode with Yanmi Park was one of the most powerful for me so far. Not only because it's a first-hand account of her life under the North Korean regime, but also because of her openness to share a story that must be so unimaginably difficult to return to over and over again in each retelling. And the strength in her voice really was a reminder to me that there's still a lot of work to be done And there are so many different ways that all of us can be involved. Uh, Paul actually worked with Teach North Korean Refugees. It's an organization that teaches English. And actually, uh, Yenmi also worked with them to improve her English, I think, as well. So there's that. And there's also Liberty in North Korea, which we'll have an episode on in the future. And... Yeah, before turning to the episode, I just wanted to also say that you could um, read Yenmi's memoir In Order to Live. You can find that um, pretty much anywhere where books are sold. And I also wanted to provide a quick trigger warning for the very brief reference to sexual assault that happens uh, in the middle of the episode. It's not extremely graphic. It also passes very quickly, but definitely caught me off guard while editing. And I just wanted to raise that flag. So, yeah, without further ado, here's Paul and Yanmi.
1: excited to have Yummy Park whom I'm sure many of you have heard a uh, human rights activist author of a uh, best-selling memoir in order to live and I just one of the most resilient people I have ever met Yummy thank you so much for for taking the time to uh, be on this podcast
2: Oh thank you so much for having me
1: And I mean I, I just uh, it's funny how life works because I remember seeing you on stage. I think it was maybe five years ago already uh, at Yale at the uh, you know Freedom Forum with the Human Rights Foundation, and yeah, I can't believe you know it's. Uh, I, I think we've both come a long way since then, so right. It's really yeah. cool that we we're able to do this. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, you've given so many different talks and um and and speeches and, and articles, but. Uh, I was wondering, you know, this podcast is really about uh, sharing stories of families and family separations. So uh, could you please start by sharing a little bit about your childhood and, and your family growing up?
2: Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I was born in North Korea at the end of 1993. So that was uh, right after Soviet Union collapse. So that was really like North Korea started. I mean, in kind of beginning or in the middle of this uh, mass starvation and so consequently so many people had to find ways to survive and uh, because the I mean the regime only providing uh, food to the elites in the Pyongyang and in the countryside people had to survive in some way and that was majorly uh, for women it was defection a lot of people did start the black market but also a lot of women started escaping from North Korea into China. And my family, I was very young. I was still, like, I think toddler that time, in the, during the mid-90s. Mid and my religious daily routine was seeing this, you know, starve to death people on the street. But it was not only that, these kids we call, like, it's a yeah. I think it's a sparrow that moves
1: mm-hmm. in
2: the between seasons, right? They go, to like, summer, the springtime, they moved to like a warm, warm-like part of the country. But somehow we named these children, I mean, kids, sometimes they're like three, five years old. And mm-hmm. and they, these kids were all around these markets that we are in. And just they were like everywhere. And all these children, I mean, we can say that these moms will abandon them, but it wasn't in any way. It was like a mother's fault. They yeah. risked their life to go to China to find food and bring back home so they could save their child. But it wasn't really easy. So so many hundreds of, thousands of people back then, like during that time, they've been separated from their families.
1: I remember hearing and reading that, you know, you and your mother made this incredible journey uh, through China and Mongolia. But, you know, why didn't you do it all together as a, as a family, I mean, if I understand correctly, your sister, older sister, uh, left North Korea first. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so that's right. Uh, in 2007, I was 13 and my sister was 16. And my parents uh, started realizing that there was no future for us. Because my father became a prisoner, he sold uh, metals in the market. And that was the, you know, against the law. So he became a prisoner. But in North Korea, if one of your family member becomes a, a criminal in the system, then that we, we say like our blood is also being tainted. Mm-hmm. It brings down all our status in the party in the system. So after that, our life just really became hard. And our parents realized that we had to go somewhere to survive, and luckily, because we are living in this town called like Hesan that had a border from China, right across the river, Yellow River, and we were able to see these uh, lights, electricity lights at night coming from China. Yeah. And we thought maybe if we go where the lights were, we might be finding you know, some bottled rice. Initially, I was trying to escape with my sister, but one day I got extremely sick and, and in, I, my stomach was really, really sick, and they took me to hospital.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, in North Korean hospital, they don't have, like, x-rays or MRIs or none of that. Like, literally, doctors just sort of rub your belly and tell us what's wrong. Yeah. And he just said, I think she got some appendix problem. I think we need to operate on her. And they opened my stomach that afternoon without any anesthesia. And most people don't die from, I think, disease in the hospital. They mostly die from starvation and infection. So there was really no guarantee for me to even survive. You know, literally a nurse in the hospital used one needle to inject everybody. And that can spread a lot of disease. It's not sanitary. So because of my me just getting into hospitalized and like did a massive operation, my sister couldn't wait for me because we were really not having enough food to eat. We were mm-hmm. going to like start into starvation. So she escaped with her friend uh, in 2007 without uh, without me. And then yeah. as soon as I got out of the hospital, they took my stitch away. Uh, I found a lady. That my sister left me a note saying, like, go find this lady. Then she's going to help you to go to China. I went to find that lady with my mother and she told me that if i go to china i was going to be able to meet my sister again and yeah. that's when i told her like can i go with my mom and she, the broke lady said yeah you can go with your mom so i initiated defection with my mother and i i heard of her her hands like if i let you go now i think i'm not gonna be able to see you again mom you have to come with me mm-hmm. and my mom wouldn't want to leave but back then like my father as i said like he was a prisoner and yeah. he was uh, out out of the prison for the uh, sick leave. He was extremely ill. And he had to go back to prison after that. And if, he, if the men defect to North Korea, the consequences are a lot harsher on the family members who are left behind. We, they, I mean, the system don't consider women to be as important to support this revolution. So that's why so many women left in the 90s, too, because they were able to, the system wouldn't punish as harsh when women escapes. So my father would not even dare to escape to go to China, you know, because he had a brother and sisters. He had cousins. If he escapes, all of them get affected. So he couldn't leave. And that's why I think the three of us escaped without him.
1: Wow. So you're. Wow. So your father ended up uh, for some time being by himself in in North Korea while, while your your sister escaped first and then you and your your mother followed.
2: yeah we escaped a few days later after my sister disappeared yeah. Uh, my fa- yeah when we escaped we got out of the home that morning saying that we we're going to find a lady that sent my our sister to China. And they're gonna look for like my sister. Her name is Eunmi, and he just thought, oh, we are going to bring Unmi back, and he was waiting. And we disappeared the same day. And I, I would wouldn't let my mom to go back home and tell my father that we are going to China because, you know, once we disappear, they're gonna torture my father. And I ask where my where we are gone, and it's a lot uh, less dangerous for him to not knowing the information. Right. If yeah. he says, like, if so much torture happens and then he says, oh, yeah, I knew they were going to China, then his crime is so much bigger than not knowing. Just say, I don't know. I don't know if they went to China or they're just gone. He just said, like, I don't know where they're gone. They did. Yeah. So he did, Because he re- literally did not know where we were gone. And so we were not even able to say goodbye. He didn't even have any idea that we were not coming back that day.
1: Uh, and what about your sister? Did you have a uh, idea of when you would be able to see her again?
2: So we are so naive, right? In North Korea, like we don't have the internet. So yeah. one of the biggest distinction that compared to a lot of other refugees and North Korean defectors is that. Maybe these days are a bit different, not the, the factors, but my time at least, you know, we don't have the internet. We didn't have any family member who escaped first, so we didn't have any news. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never even see the map of the world. I never knew what Africa was, what Europe was. I did not know any geography in the world. I just mm-hmm. thought few countries in the world like China, Russia, maybe America, and Namjoseon, we call like South, you know, right. South Joseon, right? Not even... They had mingled, like different name we had. And in that case, like literally just, um, you know, when my sister went to China, we didn't even think like how she was going to even live there. We did not know that China had this uh, policy of sending North Koreans back. We did not even know how dangerous that journey was. We just thought if we safely crossed that river without getting shot by the guards, we might be okay once we get to the the other side of the river. And that's all we knew. So when when my sister came to me when I was on the hospital bed, she said, like, I'm going to China, mother. And my mom just gave her hug and didn't even think of much. You just, you know, it was like, and also in North Korea, they don't teach us like uh, critical thinking. So we don't know like how to critically think about things back then. So it was just so naive just thinking, Oh, there are so many lights in China and we actually heard rumors from our friends saying that in China dogs eat rice. And we thought like, I mean how that is possible, right? In North Korea people don't can't even afford to eat rice. How can a dog eat rice in China?
1: Right. But
2: we thought like maybe that's maybe that was exaggerated but like in China people maybe not been not be starving like us here.
1: Yeah. And and that's how, how long did it actually, how long, how many years passed or how much time passed until you were able to see your, uh, your sister again and, and reunite with her?
2: I know it was uh, 2007, uh, March 31st. She left us at 16. But when I saw her, it was seven years later. She wow. came to our home in South Korea exact same day to from Hana on two thousand, uh, I think fourteen March thirty first. So if yeah, March thirty first is a very special day for us because that's the day we lost her. But so I was thirteen, and when I met her again, I was twenty years old, like young woman.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that must have been. Inc- I can't even imagine. It's almost like a movie. And I, I think I'm I'm so I'm so happy for you and your family because oh, I feel like lots of uh, separated families, you know, uh, from the Korean War or other people I know who have defected from North Korea, they never get to see, no, uh, yeah. or or even find out what happened to their to their family members.
2: I know, like yeah. During that seven years, like, all we needed, I mean, the least we needed, I mean, we, after many years of attempt, we gave up, we, we just needed a closure, right? Like, seven years at that time, we did not know if she was alive or she was, like, you know, or got cared. and the rumors we heard was uh, she was getting raped by the brokers. Yeah. and she couldn't bear the shame and after that she killed herself and that is a rumor we heard after we lost her like two years later or something mm-hmm. so for the until we found her for the five years later because she was kidnapped appearing so we thought maybe that rumor was true and you know think about your own family like for my mom's case your own daughter died that way it just you know, it's like it's worse than nightmare. So I think yeah. you see, that's the biggest like a hard part is that for the factors we just don't know if they're alive or not.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's something that I I wish or I hope that through you know this conversation uh, we can help. Raise awareness about this because I feel like when well, for one, when I think when North Korea, when people think about North Korea these days, they're thinking about the headlines of you know Kim Jong Un and and nuclear weapons, and then when people think about uh, Korea and divided families, I feel like they think about these you know older grandmothers and grandfathers from the Korean War. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like it's not such a rare case uh like yours of i mean is this very common uh for you know people like yourself uh, families like yourself from from north korea uh, recently to become separated on the way of escaping
2: so like 90 99 percent of the factors being separated from their family when you escape there's no way you can bring your sister parents and children all of them together right Even making it alone is so dangerous. How can you bring all your family? And I think that is why, like, right now in South Korea, there are 31,000 North Korean defectors being separated from their family. And in China, there are up to 300,000 North Korean defectors are hiding in China that has been also separated from their own children and fathers and mothers. Mm. So that is a lot of number of people being separated from their family. And that's also another sad thing is that we are not even considered to be, you know, our pain is not even, like, visible in, the, in this politics because, you know, when even South Korea discussed with North Korea do the yeah. family separation meetings, right, separate family meetings, even though the we are South Korean citizens, uh, we are not in that category, even right. though we've been separated from family. No one tried to negotiate about this issue. No one really tried right. to even understand what's happening. And we are completely just like buried and everyone pretends like we don't exist. Our pain just doesn't uh-huh. matter. So I think that is the hardest thing, part, hardest part about the factory is that just it's so politicized, especially in South Korea. So it's uh the issue is just completely not even like discussed in yeah. any way. I mean, I think it, literally you are the first person to me about you, you wanna talk about this. I was like oh my <laughs> god I never in my like activist life and no one ever asked me about this issue actually. <laughs> well, really I'm so shocked. someone thought about this.
1: Yeah, and, and and I'm I'm so glad uh we're able to share your story. But but I'm I'm wondering you know, there's no, uh, as you said, formal government mechanism through the South Korean government or, or you know, through, through any government. But is it possible for, I don't know, unofficial ways for uh, North Korean defectors to uh, reunite with their families in North Korea or, or even just, you know, communicate with them, know how they are doing now?
2: Why? Well, so when it comes to, I mean, if really would be <laughs> impossible at the moment they only can see their family members again when the family member makes it to South Korea right or yeah. some cases they do go to China and try to bring their family member escape from North Korea but it is extremely extremely dangerous so the yeah. success rate is really not high and there's not many people can afford that money to go to China and try to get their family member escape to China and bring them to South Korea. So that is almost really, really rare case. And the only other way, only really positive thing about this separation I would say is that, actually according to studies, so many uh, statistics show that up to like 80% of defectors, the ones in China, like, you know, about up to like some people say like 200,000 300 defectors in china and thirty one thousand people in in south korea they do get in touch with the mem- members of their family in north korea and they do send the money but not only money but when you s- send money you talk to them give them information about the outside of the world so that's why the north korea this uh mindset has been dramatically changing one is the outside information is getting in but not only that all these members of their family who escaped to china or south korea calling them back and sending them money and tell them how democracy how freedom works and how the rest of the world is not a you know corrupt capitalist (laughs) world it's actually free democracy that respects human rights and i think in my case even when we are in china when we are being a sexual slave to this man, Chinese man who bought us, we still were able to get in touch with our, our family members, and we did also send them money, but because I'm talking to you, I'm talking, I've been speaking out against the regime, uh, three generations of my family has been vanished. Yeah. I don't know if they've been sent to prison camp or they've been executed, they've been just gone. But other other people who doesn't speak out like me they do get in touch with their family members and getting the outside information so they kind of became the messenger for north korean people they kind of connecting the rest of the world and north korea and they are delivering these messages of hope to north korean people right now and i think that is uh that is really the one greatest uh you know thing came out of this separation and also I do think because so many of us escaped and then have left our loved ones back in North Korea, mm-hmm. that these people working so hard to free North Korea because yeah. they want to see their family members again.
1: i I really hope so. I really hope that information is going through and, and something that you know it's I really hope that I, or I wonder what people in in North Korea right now or how they reacted. Uh, if they saw the news about you know people like uh, Teong Ho or people like Chizong Ho being elected, at, you know, to, to the National Assembly in South Korea, which is just, uh, just amazing, it is. If, if you think about it.
2: It's like a miracle. I sometimes like have to pinch myself. Did that really happen? Right? I mean, Mr. Ta, his case is like the really. I mean, he they proved that we are no longer second citizen anymore in South Korea. The main concern for the North Korean elite, especially, not wanting to escape and maintain their support for the regime, was they knew that if they let go of this uh, status quo, if they let go of this system that keeps them in special class, they are the royalty in North Korea, right? If you are yeah. like the inner circle of Kim in Pyongyang, they are not equal to anyone. They are very special class, but they know if they go to like democratic democratic like country like South Korea, they're gonna be like everybody. There's right. no difference person who does like you know like uh, part-time work in the grocery store, you know or than them themselves. It's the same thing. And also, they also knew that once they escaped to the South Korea, North Koreans are considered to be almost like second citizens. There's so much discrimination against us. But this time, you know, Mr. Tae and Song, oh, they completely broke that, uh, that, you know, that bar that we had. And so many, according to from my sources, I hear that so many elites now been like uh, really, this gave them something like, you know, shock that yeah. I think maybe even if uh, even if our system collapses, we still can be successful. We still have hope to do something. And it was such a fresh message to the... I mean, someone's was like really there. What is wonderful about it is like Mr. Ted, like so many sometimes defectors think if you're elite in, in North, you should not be doing well. You should be sorry for us because we suffer so much because of, you know, your elite support the system, right? But from my view, it's not really fair because even them, except Kim Jong-un, except Kim jong un everyone is a victim of the system, literally everybody. If they don't follow the order, they are, their family going to be punished, themselves going to be punished. So taeyong kind of showed the victory of, from this elite class. You still can you know, prosper and you still can be accepted. And in the hos case, he was in the bottom of the bottom. Yeah. He lost his like arms and legs by like picking your know, car in the running train to find food as a as a young boy.
1: Yeah, I remember we were listening to his uh, speech at uh, Oslo.
2: Yeah. It, and also in North Korea if we are like handicapped it used to excite people from Pyongyang. Like we it's not like in the West, we you know try to like assume, I mean like assist or have the people who are like disabled by North Korea, we treat them like something, you know, not, not like worthy of, you know, any like equal treatment of normal people. So as someone said, like, so many people say like, you know, you like handicap, why are you alive? What well, you should be just killing yourself. But it's not like people are bad. The regime taught us that way to treat the disabled people. It was like almost yeah. the policy was like that. So. To show North Korean people that from the really the bottom of the bottom become the, you know, the lawmaker in South Korea, become the general assembly. I mean, assemblyman is just it is like, oh uh, yeah, it's it's not like even beyond anyone's dream.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wonder, and and I'm really glad that you know also uh, both Mr. Tae and uh, and Songol they mm-hmm. they are, still have you know their some of their families with them. In, in South Korea now, right? Like Songho has his brother, and Sotae has his kids. But I, I wonder, you know, I used to think that you know, obviously I used to think about it as very black and white. Family separation is bad, and the you know family reunion is good, and that's that, that's that's it. But <laughs> I'm wondering, and then everything else, it's like a Hollywood movie. It's like happily ever after. If if they're able to reunite. But I, I'm wondering, you know, from your personal experience, could you share? W- was it really, you know, happily ever after for for you or for your sister? Uh, for you know, once you got to South Korea, and, and also once you were uh, reunited as a family with your mother.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad that you actually mentioned that it it is a thing. Like you know, most people think, oh, if you met up your sister, that's so wonderful, right? now it's so wonderful and it was always wonderful but after the separation after that long period I mean for adults like now if I don't see somebody for five seven years it's like not as as bad you know right. but when you're like 13 to 20 it's a big gap yeah. you're like a little teenager now being a woman so for us it was a very very dramatic difference and when I saw saw her again, the first time I saw her again at this, like, intelligence center where they tried to see someone's a spy or if they're lying about something. They show they, like, let us meet each other and to confirm that we were family members. And seeing her, she didn't grow any taller. She was exactly the same. And, but she was so aged. She was so, went through so much hardship. But, like, I mean, what would you say after seeing that? And for my sister case... She literally came to South Korea after seven years in China thinking uh, going to South Korea and if she did not know that we were there so she thought after going to South Korea if life was as hard then she would decide to kill herself there in South Korea. That's Mm -hmm. why she came. And that was the thing also there was an expectation why we were always expected to see her so when we saw her it was such a delightful thing but for her she didn't expect us to be there. She thought she was gonna come to South Korea and some find a way to get, get you know, reach to us in North Korea. She thought we were all in North Korea. There and also, the trauma after that. I did not back then. I did not know like what trauma was, so I didn't. I couldn't understand my sister a long time. But the trauma, what it does is like they say. First thing was my sister will keep telling me, like. You mean I still feel like I'm like 16 years old <laughs> yeah. and she wasn't 16 years. She was like 23 or 20, something like that. And it was like, what do you mean you're 16? I was like, I don't know. I just always feel like the time when I left home last time. And I, that's what I heard from later the, or the psychologist, this is a trauma when you don't grow afterwards, you are stuck in time. And she would really upset that I looked like a woman. I would put on makeup. She was like, "What are you doing? You know you're a girl." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like twenty years old in college. But not only that it was like so much things that you know she went through ahead like that seven years' time. And we became different people. And it was so much bitterness, so much resentment. I mean, she resented so many times. Why? My parents gave her a birth, so she had to bear this difficult life, you know. Okay. She resented that she was born into this world. She hoped that she never, like, came to this world. So it was just so many pain that you had to overcome after going through that, you know, unspeakable. I mean, it just took many years, and now we are finally in a good place. But it took many, many years of hard work and just crying and, you know, starting again and being patient. And, like, at some point, my mother would say, like, you are not my daughter. Don't call me ever again. Like, (sighs) it's that bad.
1: That's, yeah, that makes me think because it's almost like the emotional and maybe, uh, I don't know, mental, spiritual, you know, that kind of... Maybe that kind of separation, that distance, it maybe it lasts longer and has a deeper impact than just even after you are physically reunited.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this yeah. like this separation is not like mentally you're safe. Like, oh, I'm going to study abroad, mom. I will call you sometime. I'm like, it's not that separation. When we defectors escape, we going into the massive unknown world. And we go through something that is like unimaginable for normal people to imagine. So when we go through something like that for that many years and then meet again, we are not the same people anymore. The chemicals in our brain is not the same anymore. Our brain changed permanently by PTSD. Yeah. So, but you expect them to be the same and you're not, and it's so hard to accept that you are not, you know? In the beginning, you keep just like fighting with this idea like, why are we not the same? Why are we not the same sister I saw? Why are we not the same mother I saw? like And to us to come to that place where we accept, yeah, we went through something very, very different. We changed, but it doesn't matter. We're moving towards that. Now we grow towards, like, the same goal. We grow, you know, towards the same place now. Mm. But in the beginning, it's just so, so much hurt that, you know, each other is such, like, so much bitter, and we resent each other so much. Yeah, this is, like, so a lot of separate families after, you know, all this hardship the sons like don't hold their mother again. Like they think they're like, it's, it's for the Kotebi children, why right? did we say the children? They think their mothers abandoned them. Yeah. Like, why did you confine me for 10 years or five years? And that, you know, that wound is in them forever. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I, I uh, yeah. When you, when you talk about this trauma and the, uh, also, I feel like it's such, I mean, just personally, I feel like it's such a Korean culture, Korean society, uh, maybe East Asian culture society to not really be honest about trauma. And because, I don't know, maybe because of shame or because of recognition. But but what I uh, am really curious about um, personally is you are a, you know, a recent mother, right?
2: Yeah. So congratulations. Oh, thank you.
1: And, and uh, so is your baby uh, one-year-old now? No,
2: he's
1: over two. Oh, over two already. Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Time wow. flies.
1: So I, I'm wondering, you know, has being a, a mother and, and a wife and, you know, having your own family, has that, I, I guess, one, has that helped you? I don't know find some kind of closure and and deal with uh that trauma mm-hmm. and and you know think about uh family separation in in a different way
2: it, yeah i know I mean, you being don't being talk about mother. that in your book no, <laughs> no no yeah right it's like I'm being a mother is like um it's like second biggest transition for me one was escaping from north korea and like you know second was like coming to this free world and Being a mother was like third biggest thing that ever happened to me. But I think when I was pregnant, I so it brought so much good, but also it also so much fear that I, you know, you're just so afraid. Like because I'm traumatized, you think you are not able to connect maybe the same way that other people connect with another human. Because, you know, when I was raped, 13 years old age and Constantly being raped by this man and And you like because you just like lose your like faith in humanity You view the man as something the most dangerous thing in this world right And in that regard having a son was the best thing ever happened to our marriage. That's what my husband says at least (laughs) He's like I began I start having more compassion to boys and men, right? But another thing is also so much fear that you are not going to be as a good mother compared to people who are not traumatized. And like, do I even have the qualification? Do I deserve to have this, the most wonderful thing in my arms? And I just constantly fear, guilty and like fear. But, you know, eventually like, you know, I did, like, do some therapy and reading more books to understand trauma. But I think it is also sometimes like, it's a better, you know. But I think it mostly, it did, like, teach me, you know, the connection that I had with my parents. You know, this is how they felt about me. And, you know, it brought so much feelings that I never felt before. Because when you do be traumatized... The one thing for me is like numbness. You don't fear anything. Like I didn't feel most of a thing until like from the point the day I escaped North Korea that I got raped. After that I didn't feel so, I didn't feel anything for so long. So, you know, having a child like made me to understand like I can feel so many different emotions. So it kind of kind of renewed me and a lot of defectors, even in South Korea, they said it's the lowest, you know, the like, birth rate country, in, like, OECD countries. Mm-hmm. A lot of defectors do become mothers early on, like me. Yeah. Get married, because one, as you said, they, are, they, they don't have family members in this Christmas, New Year's, you know, Thanksgiving in Korea, Chuseok. They, they have no one to go see, you know, because they are so lonely. They just want to create that on their own. But also, I think we just longing for something like that. We are longing for feeling love and connection and that, you know, just embrace. I think that is why often you see so many defectors get pregnant and get married very early, even in these like, you know, developed countries in America or in South Korea. Hmm.
1: Yeah. That's why I mean just as a side note when when you uh shared that news that made the video recently maybe it was a few weeks ago about this uh mother this uh woman you know originally from North Korea and her her child uh, in DC right and they're having a really hard time uh with the coronavirus and you know with uh losing her job that really uh I mean it's 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 crazy to think that in in 2020 it's uh, these story, And in, in the United States, we still have these these stories.
2: I mean, when I heard her story, what reminded me was, I think the last year where North Korean defective mother and the son died in Seoul from starvation, right? And if I didn't see that, I would not like believe this can happen to us. Other was almost like, oh, that's a joke. Or, How do you go start, I mean, die from starvation? But... Apparently, it is possible that that's how lack of interest and support for these people. So, yeah, even even you have children, a lot of times they are alone and they don't know where to get support. They don't have like you know childcare support. They, they, I mean, their jobs always like these blue collar jobs. They can't pay for those things. So you know, it's the that's why the suicide rate for North Korean defectors are much much higher compared to South Koreans, but you know, South Korea is already yeah. number one among the OECD countries. Right, right. And it does like make me understand, like make me think that these people gone through the hell. Like they, I mean, we crossed the desert. They yeah. crossed, I mean, they cross, went through so much to go there and they are such a strong, resilient people. But I do think what kills them at the end of the day is that no hope and the loneliness. At least when we are on the road to fight for our freedom, we have hope for the better yeah. life. We have something to fight for. But when we got there, actually, when we are in the freedom and then all you have is court discrimination and that your inability to compete in this very competitive capitalist society in South, South Korea or in America. Mm-hmm. And you have no one to rely on. You have no support. And I think that's when they decide to end their life because there's nothing left for them to fight for.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope South Korean society and people in South Korea uh, can can be a more inclusive and open society. That's something that I personally care deeply about. But, but I, I wonder if, you know, just... Uh, so far, I, I really appreciate how personal and and open you've been with your own story. But I wonder if we could take, uh, you know, zoom out a bit and think uh, big picture. Because, uh, you know, when people, uh, one analogy, a metaphor that uh, I've seen so many times when people talk about North and South Korea is they are like brothers, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Cousins. And cousins, <laughs> brothers yeah. who are fighting. Yeah.
1: And, yeah. You know, so unification, uh is like this big family reunion.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> do you have any what do you think about that that analogy and especially you know, from your, your personal experience, do you think you know it's uh accurate to describe like that as as those brothers or cousins?
2: Um, So one thing that North Korean regime that I want to give a credit for and they did such a good job is...
1: Wow, I never thought I would hear you say that. (laughs) I know.
2: Exactly. I never knew I was going to say this either. (laughs) Is that making us to think that we are the same people. The brothers, as you said, right? the brothers, sisters, the cousins that we have in the South is our people. That they re- have to reunite, and that is everyone's dream, everyone's goal. There was never a like debate about it on that regard. There's never a debate to reunite or not in that regard in North Korea. And when I went to college in South Korea, eventually I had to lie to them that I was North- South Korean because they were as soon as they find out, they asked me like, "Are you a spy?" <laughs> there was so much and no one to be friends with me and they were like making fun of my accent and the, like I didn't know what board games were. There were so many different types of board game, you know. I mean, I'm <laughs> from Moscow, how do I know that? But my friends who like, you know, 17, 18, they knew so many computer games and my English wasn't, ba- I mean, so bad. So they were just so much. I was such a like a subject of making fun of. And eventually I got so much hurt. I lied to them and there's a class when people talk about North Korea everyone's saying it's a it's a foreign country they don't say it's our country it's always like the foreign country yeah. and one of my professor was like I I was my major was like a criminal justice like police administration in Korea mm. and my professor would say oh North Korean the factors in South Korea are the one of the you know potential terrorist groups because you know we, they are not treated equally they are gonna be resentful and they're they're gonna cause threat to our like national security and i was just so shocked like what if i tell him like i'm not gonna de- 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 in this class right now right
1: <laughs> yeah
2: so i think that is something south korean maybe i don't know government failed or whoever in charge have failed to remind us that we are the same people and like in north korea of course for me it was you know it would be the happiest thing for me. Like everyone would die for to get this dream come true. But after experiencing South Korea, I do fear that I don't know if you met all other defectors too. But the defectors the that I know, they also see this uh obstacle that we are gonna face It's a huge obstacle because there's a big shift in, especially the young generation in South Korea. They don't view Korea as a, North Korea as the same country anymore. Yeah. They don't view us as the same people anymore. Exactly. Right? Like, exactly. like now, like, even Korean-Americans, when I meet them like, in South Korea too, as soon as I tell them, like, hi, I'm Mi, I'm from North Korea, the first thing they say, like, oh my god, you look like me. I'm <laughs> like, yeah, I look like you, I'm a human being, I'm Korean. Yeah. And they they shock that I look like them. and. I think that is why, you know, to change someone's mind, to change people's minds takes the longest time in my understanding from my experience. Right? Mm-hmm. It takes yeah, so much effort. Absolutely. It takes so much time to change someone's mind. And I think for that regard, you know, it is you know, South Korea has a lot to catch up when it comes to at least understanding our nationality and North Korean people. And maybe someday they get there, like North Korea, they completely embrace that that we are the same country, that we are the same nation, we are the same people, then, you know, reunification might be possible or something positive thing for all of us. But right now, if that happens, I do honestly say there will be some massive chaos. Yeah. It is. I mean, like, yeah. if you see all the studies, right? I mean, most of young people don't want the reunification in South Korea. Like,
1: yeah, like
2: it's very. It's been very consistent for the last like two, three decades. The young people don't want it.
1: That's something that I found very, I don't know, interesting and surprising. That one and inspiring too. It seems there are too many to list, right? There's, um, you know, ho's organization and you know just how seeing how active so many. Uh, North Korean defectors are in, you know, in human rights work or in unification work in South Korea or the U.S., right? Uh, North Korea Strategy Center. I mean, there, there are too many. There so many, and of course, not everybody wants to be like an activist. But I, I agree with you, and and it also se- I, w- I was surprised because it seemed like uh, actually Korean Americans and and you know, other Korean diaspora care more about unification and, you know, North Korea than, uh, I guess, local uh, South Koreans, just just from my, my observation. So
2: Yeah, it is <laughs> so true. It's like, uh, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but people say, like, why are you doing your human rights work in America? You know, in the, I, a lot of people don't like America. I don't know why, but so many people say, why do you, especially in the West, right? Like, I do a lot of work in Europe and in America and like even like countries like India, Malaysia, yeah. Hong Kong, Singapore, I mean, Taiwan, they have so much major, major, major interest when mm-hmm. it comes to North Korean human rights issue or, or just in general, like anything about us, right? But when it comes to South Korea, it has the least interest.
1: Right.
2: So even like Shin Dong Hyuk's book, I don't know if you know. Yeah, book, of course, of course. Right. He was books published in Korea and no one, no one read it, so he, when he, his book published in the West, it became like major like n- n- national bestseller, so when I wrote my book too, I wrote it in English with my broken English, after I learned <laughs> the English <laughs> a few years later, and people are so curious, like, you should write in Korea and publish it and then translate it, it's Like because I know no one's going to read it, yeah. so even all these major defector like uh, testimony or books comes out. It only comes out and being mentioned and being read in in the English or like rest of the world, not in yeah. South Korea. It's just South Korea is always exemption, and that is why also the main thing that North Korean defectors are really heartbroken is that when you take this Korean or Asian air, and you see these campaign videos of uh, you know African children, and they ask us to put the coins or like fundraising for these people. Right. And they, Korea North, I mean, South Korea is North South Korea. so take uh, such a pride in that they are like they are giving back. They are in yeah. a position where they can help others. But in that regard, they take care of animals. they care about so many other causes. but North Korean human rights has never been one of them, never. Mm. So that is the thing.' Is like the it's not like North Korean defectors want South Korea to only care about North Korean issues, right? But yeah. they just just the fact that they don't even mention that this is an issue that this this mom and son died from starvation in the middle of Seoul in twenty first century is never a thing for them. That is I think why a lot of the factors do this human rights work themselves, even though when we do this work, we risk our lives back in North Korea.
1: Yeah. I guess my last question to, to conclude the, the conversation, I wonder if you know, for, for, uh, people who are listening and, and hopefully a lot of them are from South Korea, so they can, they can learn about this. Yeah. Uh, may, maybe, we should have done this in my Korean, but, uh, in my broken Korean, but, um, you know, do you have any, uh, takeaways or message for, for people listening and, you know, what they can do to, to learn more, you know, educate themselves or to, uh, I guess to, to help, to help uh, North Korean defectors and and these uh, families that are separated.
2: Yeah, I think when you, I mean, I've been talking about a lot of the sad things about this issue, right? How it's been ignored, how this has been so many caused so many pain, so many people. But I think really at the end of the day, there is a victory waiting for us, and I think North Korean people almost like shows that how resilient human race is <laughs> yeah. you know how how we can find ways to survive n- no matter the circumstances it's, it's like to me when i read like hunger games the series the other day i just reminded me of like north korea so much you know how the capital divides these districts yeah. and the people in the captor, you know taking this like drinks to throw their food and just enjoying this Hyper luxury, and people in the other districts are so starving on purpose by the regime. But I think ah. it does show us that it's almost a lesson for all of us that because in the West, you know, when people say, you know, freedom is not free, they say, oh, that's such a cliche thing to say, you know. And people don't really understand the value of the freedom, freedom of speech we have, freedom of movement that we have. In, Pyeong, in North Korea when I was growing up, my friends, <laughs> their dream was actually not visiting Paris, not visiting, like, Tokyo. Their dream was visiting Pyongyang in their lifetime. Because mm-hmm. even within North Korea, we did not have a freedom of movement. We could not go to the next town without the permit. So I think when we, we read about this like, dystopia, from the George Orwell novel, but North Korea almost like it's a living example of it. They when humans trade and when we don't fight for freedom, what it becomes. And for me, like when we fight for the human rights and freedom of others, it is almost like us buying insurance. Think about it. Like if all of us not free, none of us left in this world are to fight for freedom for anyone. Right.
1: Yeah. So why we are
2: free, we should fight for these people who are oppressed, so when we are not free, they can fight for us. Yeah. and that is, is a that is that is the reason why we should fight for everyone's freedom today. That's why I'm so hopeful and you know, I'm just so amazed how resilient everyone is and especially you know because like no country I do know, North Korea is the one of the most suffering the country in this world right now and if they become better i do think as a humanity we can move forward a little bit and we you know just make a better world you know a little bit and little bit and it will become better all together someday
1: well yomi i think you're too humble because i feel like if north korea is like the hunger games then you would be like the katniss everdeen the main character (laughs)
2: Hello. <laughs> <You know. laughs>
1: but uh, thank you thank you so much for for sharing your experience and you know your your insight um and and I yeah I feel so inspired once again.
2: Oh, it's been a real pleasure talking to you.
0: for listening and if you're interested in hearing more stories of family separation please follow us on instagram at divided families podcast if you enjoyed this episode please rate us on apple podcasts and you can follow us on your preferred streaming platform thanks as always to flannel albert for the music and see you next time